Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I am Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that we have this uh, time together. We're going to talk about prayer. Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself have got a very special guest going to be joining us in just a minute. Our guest today is Dr. Craig S. Keener. I think the S stands for smart. I'll have to find out for sure. <laughs> but uh, Peter, this is going to be a fun hour. Yeah, it should be a really fun hour, Bill. I think uh, one of the most encouraging things uh, about this prayer series, I think for so many of us, yourself and myself included, is that uh, all of the guests that we've been having in that really do represent quite a bit of the expertise that we could sort of round up for a series like this from around the country. One of one of those common themes is that prayer is a really wide and diverse and, and deep conversation. And, and there isn't anybody that's come on and said, hey, you know, I have this whole thing dialed in from both a <laughs> theological perspective, but also even from a practical, like, how do I practice this perspective? And and uh, I think Craig is going to fit right in that vein with bringing a lot of wisdom, but also understanding that there's a lot of challenge to prayer as well. Mm-hmm. Craig is professor of biblical studies and on faculty at Asbury Theological Seminary. He has joined us before on our salvation series, and he has uh, authored many, many, many books. He's kind of the theologian's theologian. So when we have him on, it's always kind of we're on our, always on our best behavior. Peter, our I would say, Peter, wouldn't you say of all the resources that you have in your personal library, your Craig Keener book is one of the places you go when you need to find out what's what? It is indeed. But I love my biblical commentaries, and I think I ran across some of Craig's work in seminary even as far back as about 1997, 1998. And what I loved is uh, is Craig had an ability to take a, a scripture passage, maybe five to ten verses at a time. And believe it or not, when you get into a well-written commentary, those five verses— they may be spread out over 6 to 10 to 12 to sometimes 20 pages of explanation where you feel like at the end of it, you're not just reading the Scripture, you're actually standing in the world of Scripture, and you, you sort of get a chance to look around and have a much better understanding. And, and of course, you and I have commented since then that Craig has quite a volume. I believe it's on the Book of Acts. We've talked about the number of pages that one is, right? Yeah, it's 4,500 pages. Amazing. Which eclipses the number of pages I've read in my life. So. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but, you know, what's interesting as a radio host of a Christian show, you get lots and lots of people that send you books, and, and a lot of them are wonderful. And Craig's book is one of the ones I went out and purchased. So uh, that just goes to show how much I like and respect Craig's work. And he's with us now. Craig, so glad to have you back on the show. Welcome. It's, it's always great to be with you guys. You are so... Um, so encouraging, so friendly. Um, these uh, nice introductions you give me, although mentioning that you read me back in 1997, lets everybody mm-hmm. know I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just meant you were writing commentaries as a teenager, Craig, right? I mean, this That's is early, early in life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Craig, if I got seated next to you at a dinner party and I didn't know much about you and your work and you didn't know much about me, and let's just say... I had two questions for you. My first question would be, are you going to finish the rest of that? That'd be my first question. (laughs) And my second question would be, so, oh, you're a professor of biblical studies. What can you tell me about prayer? What would be your three-minute answer? Well, first thing I would say is prayer is talking with God. 
And it matters because God is real. And so it's it, it comes out of a relationship with God. The, the better you get to know somebody, the better you get to know what somebody is like, the, the more freely you can converse with them. And when you get to know what, what God is like, you, you trust him more. And there are a bunch of different kinds of prayer in the Bible. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you said, it's just such a wide open topic. It's hard mm-hmm. to know where to start. But, um, but most fundamentally, it's talking to God. It's, um, it's relationship with God. So, you know, we, we, we tell God who he is, we praise him, we worship him. Um, and we, we're, we're open to hear from God as well, to let, to let him speak to us. Um, sometimes when we think of prayer, we think of just asking God for things. But we can ask God for things just the way a, a child can snuggle up to their, their mom or dad and, and ask for something. Uh, and you know, the mom or dad usually knows what's best for the child. But it comes, it comes in a relationship. It's not just we, we snuggle up and ask for something. <laughs> we, we can do that because we have a relationship with our Father in heaven. Craig, you talk about God being real. That's quite a statement when you make it like that, because I think for prayer, for for many of us at different times in our life, it can feel a bit like a ritual, something we're supposed to do. But it's a bit of a game changer if we really begin to pay attention in our mind, in our heart, to the idea that, gosh, God might actually be real. And not just that, he might actually be present and listening. I would love for you to say more about the importance of just that even awareness as we enter into prayer. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the ritual has a place because it, it provides us a structure so that we, it, it is an act of faith that you go ahead and do it even when you don't feel like it. Um, you're, you're, you're giving God that time. But it really, I think, makes the biggest difference when we recognize while wow, we're in the presence of God. And that's something that it's ideal for us to recognize not just when we are officially praying, but all the time. I mean, we're in his presence. I, I haven't found a way to, like um, uh, the book about uh, practicing the presence of God, I haven't found a way to actually go around consciously thinking about this all the time, especially when I'm you know working on other things that I have to have my mind concentrated on. But just... Um, that's the default setting. God is with us. It really struck me when I was working through John chapters 14 through 16, how Jesus talks about the the Spirit being with us, the Spirit being in us, and us us being in the presence of God continually. Because in my early Christian life, I kind of had this idea that you had to kind of work your way up spiritually into into prayer, you know, get yourself into the right mood or whatever, so that you really felt it a certain way. And so I'd spend like the first hour trying to try, trying to work my way up into God's presence, but it didn't. It doesn't work like that. It's like we're already in God's presence. We can acknowledge that by faith, and then get right down to business. 
And Craig, I remember uh, we were talking just a little bit before we started the the program here about the idea of your own prayer life and and what you set aside during the day, but some of the challenges you you find in setting that time aside and, and what it's like then to to be intentional in daily prayer life, both the benefit and the fruit of that, but also the challenge of that. Yeah, I mean, I I set aside about an hour a day um, deliberately for prayer. So uh, normally, like twenty minutes in the morning. 20 minutes in the afternoon and uh, 20 minutes at night, uh, maybe a little bit more than that sometimes. But uh, but I also recognize that some of that time my mind is wandering, <laughs> so it doesn't actually count to an hour. And there's other mm-hmm. times during the day when I'm, you know, I just am praying to God. Uh, and a lot of times, um, one thing that's really helped me, I'm, I'm ADHD, as you may be able to tell by the way I'm jumping from subject to subject, but uh, I'm ADHD, so... Uh, concentration is, unless I get into hyper-focus, concentration is hard for me. My mind tends to wander. Uh, some people may say uh, Craig Keener has lost his mind. His mind wandered too much. <laughs> <laughs> but but while, I, uh, while I do that, um, you know, I have different ways to try to, to rein me back in. And so um, one thing part of the time I'll be I'll be praying through the Psalms and then you know kind of adapting those prayers you know the part about you know destroy my enemies I sometimes change that the Lord please bring them to repentance but um, but then also uh, I have a prayer list for for requests of course worship there are a lot of songs that we can use that that directly acknowledge who God is and how great God is and um, there there are there are ways like that and then also, um, something that really helps me because I'm so uh, cranially heavy, so so intellectually focused uh, in my work, um, and and this this is something that started in my life uh, like two days after my conversion from atheism. So I I didn't know anything about it. It just you know I, I didn't know there was a name for it, but I, I was just so so overwhelmed by the awesome majesty of God. There was no way I could praise him enough unless he gave me the words to do it. And it started coming out in a language I didn't know. And so uh, 1 Corinthians 14 talks about praying with your understanding, well, praying with your spirit, praying with your understanding also. And um, I I guess it helps balance me out. My my mind may not always be focused, but uh, when I pray in tongues, it really helps me with... with, um, well, my, my spirit can pray and get past all of the mental defense mechanisms, whatever else, sometimes get really down to business. So I know not everybody has that gift, but um, that's been really beneficial in my own prayer life. Craig, when we hear that God loves us and God loves you, and you think, well, okay, that's the most wonderful news I could ever imagine hearing, that God loves me and sent Jesus to die for my sins— and to have this grace pour into my life. Okay, this is amazing news. I love it. But when people try to grasp God's love, I assume over the over uh, the years of trying to grow in your faith that it is through prayer and and spending time with the Lord that you start to understand and experience that love. I always think that's a big challenge for people when, when people hear that God loves them and they go, well, how does that work? Um, because they want something that's more tangible. And I'd, I would venture to say that when you get into 
uh, an intimate prayer life with God, that's when that love really shows up and you can understand it and it feels exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. And yeah, that's true. For some people, it's hard to grasp that in prayer. Like for those of us who have backgrounds where we've been uh, physically abused or, um, well, in my case, it was physically abused, but some people's cases sexually abused or things like that. Sometimes it's hard to, to feel love or sometimes it's, you know, people have been in broken relationships. Sometimes it's hard to, to believe, really believe that love. And scripture really helps us there, especially as it keeps pointing us back to the gospel keeps pointing us back to the central message, the, the central event in history through which God expressed his love. Like John 3.16, this is how God loved the world. He gave his son. And if we dare to believe that, that, that at the same time when we, humanity, were pounding the nails into Jesus' hands, he was crying out, I love you. I love you. I love you. That's when we see his heart for us. And as we dare to believe that, as we as we dare to go beyond our feelings, our background, whatever else, to believe in a heavenly father who loves us that much, in a Lord Jesus who loves us that much, then we can dare to approach God's throne in faith, knowing that we have full access to him because of the cross, because we have a great high priest, or, or in, in, in Romans 8, um, if, if, if he gave his own son for us, how much more will he not give us all things? Now, a lot of those all things are you know, in the future when Jesus comes back. But uh, j- just seeing God's love for us and what that means changes everything. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a short break. Uh, You're listening to the prayer series. Uh, Peter Kapsner and I are um, privileged to have Dr. Craig Keener as our guest today. So after a short break, we'll be right back. We are back at it with our prayer series today. Peter Kapsner and I are talking to Dr. Craig Keener. He is a a professor uh, of New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary. And lo and behold, he was born on the 4th of July. So that's uh, a few fun facts about Craig. Now, Craig, uh, I would love to discuss the Lord's Prayer with you because in your uh, IVP commentary that I own, you did a wonderful job of it in there. And I would love for you to go through it with us. Oh, that'll be great. Um, <clears throat> now, there's actually two places in the Gospels where it deals with the Lord's Prayer. So, um, is it all right if I start with Matthew 6? Please. Or go, go in canonical order rather than alphabetical order. So, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> in Matthew 6 starts out by, by saying, Watch out, beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them, uh, t- to be glorified by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he gives three examples of that. Um, 
giving, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting. And uh, in the section about prayer, uh, that's the that's the longest because he includes the Lord's prayer there. But in in that section, he says, don't, "Don't pray like this." And then he says, "Do pray like this." And then and he says, "Don't pray like this." And then he says, "Do pray like this." <laughs> First, he says, "Don't pray like the hypocrites," because they want everybody to see them. Um, you know, if there's no God, then you can pray just so other people will think you're cool if you're around people who think that's cool. But if you really believe that there's a God, you don't have to do it for other people to see it. You can pray when nobody else is looking. And so after he says, don't pray like that, he says, you know, pray in secret. Uh, it's not that you can't, you know, do public prayer also. I mean, the Bible talks about that also. But it's a matter of if your heart is doing it so God will hear you. And then he says, don't pray like this. Don't pray like the, the Gentiles do. Back then, the way Gentiles, a lot of Gentiles would pray, they would heap up all these names of the deity, and then sometimes they'd tack on to that, or, or by whatever name you wish to be called. You know, they thought that by their rituals or their formulas, they would get God to answer them. But, but really, instead, it's a matter of approaching God because he's our father. It's a matter of that relationship. So when he says, don't pray like them, instead, pray like this. Pray to your, your father because he knows what you need even before you ask him. It's not your formula. It's not how articulate you are. It's based on your relationship that he's your father. And again, I know not everybody has a, you know, had a perfect relationship with their father, but, um, but a father was, was somebody uh, normally the way that would be understood in ancient Jewish culture was somebody you could depend on, somebody who would love you, somebody who would correct you, somebody who would do their best to provide for you. Like he, he goes on to say in Matthew 7 about um, if, if you ask for, for a good gift, that's what your father will give you. He'll give you a good gift. He won't give you something bad. Uh, and the Gospels talk about you know, approaching him like a child and so on. So it's not surprising that when he starts the Lord's Prayer, he says, pray like this, our Father who's in heaven. Now, in Luke, it's just our Father. Uh, our Father who's in heaven is a way uh, of, of acknowledging God's greatness. Jewish synagogue prayers often acknowledged God as his Father in heaven. But the context of all this is you know that God is your Father, you know that when you approach him, you approach him. Well, those of you who have been fathers and mothers, you know how, you know, you love your child and and you just delight to give them what's good. And uh, I didn't understand that fully until I became a dad. <clears throat> but it's all predicated in that relationship. So our father who's in heaven. And then we pray, hallowed be your name. When I when I heard that long ago and didn't know what it meant, I was I didn't know what hallowed meant. I thought it was like something to do with hollow, but uh, <laughs> but hallowed means may your name be set apart as holy. May people recognize how great and how holy you are. And the prophets in the Old Testament sometimes spoke of a 
of the coming day of the Lord when everybody would recognize God's name, the name of the true and the living God, is holy. And Jewish people in the first century, they they had a, a prayer called the Kaddish. And it went something like this in its in its earliest form. Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come speedily and soon in our days and in the days of our children. So it was a it was a prayer for the coming of God's kingdom. So Jesus says, you pray for the hallowing of God's name, pray for his kingdom to come, pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all these things are related because when God reigns and challenged over the earth and everybody recognizes God's name is holy, his will also is done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's a prayer for the coming of the kingdom. But for, for us as believers, you know, we recognize Jesus is coming again as king. But Jesus already came in a, in a more subtle way as king. So we're looking forward to the coming of his kingdom in the future. But we also recognize that, that his reign is at work among us now. And, and we should live consistently with that. And that was also uh, understood in, in Jewish ethics at that time as well. People understood that um, if, you, if you're going to pray for the hallowing of God's name, you also need to live in accordance with that, so that people will see by your life that you recognize the holiness of God. Um, something interesting about this in, in Matthew, you've got, in, in Greek, you have three you petitions and three we petitions. Uh, what, what that means is, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. In Greek, the word your is emphatic in each case. So later on in, in Matthew 6, he's going to say, your heavenly father knows you have need of all these things, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So he invites us to pray first, not focused on all the things we need. Oh, we're allowed to pray for those things. He knows that we have need of those things. But first, to seek for God's glory and God's kingdom in the world. That's, that's where we can start our prayers, um, no, noting the needs around us. And then he goes on to um, give us this day our daily bread, which was, well, that was one of the big prayer requests in the ancient world. Um, sometimes we may forget about that because if we live in a, in a setting where we have access to food a lot, um, but that's not true for everybody in the world. And and we ourselves are dependent on God to, to provide for that. And it probably re reflects the manna in the wilderness, how they had to depend on God literally for their daily bread. The forgiving our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Um, sins were viewed as debts before God. And like you have a parable later in Matthew 18, how there's no way we could ever pay all our debts before God. But God forgives us on the principle of grace because of what Jesus has done for us. And so in light of that, we ought to forgive others. We don't have yeah, to Craig, hold I, things. I oh, just sorry. hate to interrupt. I do hate to interrupt, but we are up against a hard break here. So if okay. you can hold that thought, I promise we'll be sure. back in 90 seconds. We're listening to Prayer Series with Peter Kapster. Our guest is Dr. Craig Keener. We'll be right back. 
It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. All right, we are back from our break, and it felt like the break took forever because I cannot wait to get back to our discussion with Dr. Craig Keener. And we're talking right now about in our prayer series on the Lord's Prayer. And right before we went to break, we were discussing the forgiveness uh, component of the Lord's Prayer. And Craig, that's where I'm going to ask you to pick it right back up. Sure. Yeah. For, forgiving, forgiving those who've wronged us is a way of expressing our trust in the God who's forgiven us who's really forgiven us more because whatever we do against God is like we're, we're, we're sinning against somebody infinite. And so our, our sins have infinite uh, consequence or infinite demerit. We we might say Um, the, when the Bible talks about this, um, there, there are actually a number of other places. It's like in, in second Corinthians, chapter 2, Paul says to forgive this person who's done wrong because we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. The devil can often get in when we don't bless those who curse us, when we we respond to cursing with cursing because we're not really trusting God. When we forgive people, we're saying, okay, I trust God to have my back. I don't need to hold this against somebody. I don't need to try to get revenge because God has my back. He'll take care of me. I trust him. So it's really an, an expression of faith. And, and you see that again uh, in, in another context where Jesus deals with that in Mark chapter 11, where he's talking about uh, prayer and faith and brings up the subject of forgiveness, that, that it's really related to that because it's an expression of our faith. Uh, now, sometimes when we talk about praying with faith, we think of faith like we, we get our focus on our faith. We have faith in our faith, and we say, oh, boy, I don't have enough faith. Maybe God won't hear me. That's putting faith in our faith. That's missing the point of what faith really is. And we really need to get faith right if we're talking on faith radio, right? So um, <laughs> Jesus says it's just a mustard seed of faith. It's not how big is our faith. It's how big is the God in whom is our faith. We, we just need to remember we're, we're talking to our Father. So, you know, he takes care of our needs, like give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts before you, God. And don't lead us into testing, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, uh, th- th- there was, a, there was a, a Jewish evening prayer that talked uh, about, about that, about don't lead us into testing. And it wasn't the idea that you would never be tested, but the, the prayer went on to say, don't, don't let our feet stumble when we're tested. You see something similar to this later in Matthew's gospel where Jesus says to the disciples, pray that you will not enter into, into temptation or, or testing. Well, the testing was already on the way up the hill. I mean, he, he says this to the disciples Right when he's been praying in Gethsemane, he's ready. They're not. They've been sleeping instead of praying. But the, the, the testing is going to come. The testing is already in the way up the hill. The question is whether they're going to be ready for it or not. And 
this prayer, don't lead us into, into testing. Okay, don't lead us into too much of it, but sometimes we're going to face testing, but deliver us from the evil one. Don't let us succumb to the test. And uh, then he goes on to talk more about forgiveness after he finishes the prayer and, and talks about fasting, doing that in, in secret. Back then, uh, when people fasted, they, would, they wouldn't anoint their head with oil. They, they wouldn't wash. They wouldn't shave. And so everybody would know they were fasting. Um, today, uh, with, when people fast, maybe brush your teeth so people won't be able to smell on your breath that you haven't brushed your teeth for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is it all right if I go to Luke's uh, oh, Luke's account of Luke's prayer? Um, Luke, Luke tells us how Jesus gave this prayer uh, when he was praying. He was praying in a certain place, and his disciples waited until he was done, which which was appropriate. Uh, there actually was a story about about a rabbi. It's probably not a true story. It was made up. Well, it, it's told centuries after the rabbi lived. But the the rabbi was praying, and the snake bit him. He didn't interrupt his prayer, so the snake died. But it, it was considered really rude to interrupt people's prayers. So they wait until Jesus is done praying. And then they say, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also did his disciples. And yeah, that's what we're asking of the Lord now. <laughs> Lord, teach us to pray. And sometimes we think it has to be something really complex or intricate or sophisticated in its wording. But Jesus gives a very simple prayer. And, and the version he gives in this context is even simpler than the one you have uh, in Matthew. So in, in Luke 11, verse 2, he says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus goes on to teach about prayer. He gives... He tells a story about a friend who who comes at midnight. People didn't usually travel too much at night. It was dangerous because of the robbers and people didn't have flashlights and so on. So, but but a friend shows up at night, and well, the the person whose friend it is has to be a good host. Hospitality was such a big thing in the ancient world, and and yet they've already used up their supply of bread for the day. And they need to find a neighbor who's who still has some bread left over because the, the women would often bake together around a communal uh, oven. So they would know, you know, which neighbor might still have some bread. So he, he goes over and knocks on his neighbor's door and says, uh, please, you know, a friend has come to me. I'm obligated to give him some food. So please lend me three loaves. And from inside, the person says, hey, stop knocking. Don't bother me. The door's shut. My children and I are in bed. You're waking everybody up. I can't get up and give you anything. But it keeps knocking because, well, the kids are awake now anyway. So the guy may as well get up and give it to him. I mean, he's 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 being insistent. He's 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 refusing to give up because his honor is at stake. And in a sense, the honor of the whole village is at stake. So the friend gets up and gives it to him because he's he's so concerned about, about honor. He's so persistent. And Jesus says in the same way, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
Everyone who asks receives, whoever seeks finds, whoever knocks to that person, it'll be opened. Now, if, if one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish, you won't give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or for an egg, you won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? Now, in, in Matthew's parallel, it's, it's more general, it's more generic. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? But Luke here focuses on the, the biggest of good gifts, God himself. So, you know, we're, we're praying for the hallowing of God's name. We're praying for his kingdom to come. And, and in Luke eleven thirteen, he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God's, God's own presence, by which God's name is hallowed, by which God's, God's reign is, is expressed in us. And this is, this is it, it fits into a theme that we see throughout Luke-Acts. Luke really emphasizes prayer a lot. I mean, he's the only one to mention that uh, when, when Jesus is baptized and the Spirit comes on him like a dove, that Jesus is praying when that happens. I'm sure, I'm sure you know, the others could take it for granted, but you know, Luke emphasizes that point. He talks about the, the praying and, and some other passages. Then you get to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, what are they doing? that says they're praying together and, and they're waiting for the, the promise of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, God pours out the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, they're persecuted and, and told not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. So what do the, what do the disciples do? They go back and they pray for more boldness so they can continue to preach and God will continue to, to show his, his, his glory. And it says in, in 431 of Acts, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God with boldness. And, and we see this pattern a few other times. That, um, and, and we look in the history of revivals that, not, not always, uh, God, God is sovereign. God can do it any way he wants to. But often, revivals followed concerted prayer as people were praying. And in what people are praying for, especially is, is for God himself to show up. So uh, whether it's in our personal lives, praying for more of the work of the Spirit, whether it's, it's for corporately, we're praying for revival, we're praying for the outpouring of God's Spirit in our, in our communities, in our churches, and, and wherever else, we have a promise in Luke eleven thirteen. This is one good gift. We can be sure God knows it's good and we know it's good. It's God's own presence. It's God's own work in our lives. That's amazing, Craig. When I have one quick question. We need to go to break in just a couple of minutes. So we have a couple of minutes left. But when I think of this man petitioning his neighbor for bread and he persists, is that something that Jesus is trying to teach us with regards to how we should come to the Father repeatedly, boldly, persistently? For sure. And we may have to, I mean, there's so much on that. We can, we can keep going after the break, but. Oh, I would I mean, love that. Yes. Luke 18, the persistent widow who won't give up, even though the judge is unjust. Well, if an unjust judge hears her because she keeps pestering him, how much more will our heavenly father who loves us, who is a just judge, 
hear the, the cries and the petitions of his children. And we see this attitude illustrated repeatedly in the Gospels of some people who who just were so insistent. Sometimes they were sometimes they would have even been considered rude by ancient standards or acting against social convention, but they knew Jesus was the only one who could help them. And their desperation and their persistence counted as faith. Sometimes, you know, we may not feel like we have faith. We're just holding on for dear life. But that counts as, as faith if, we're, if it's God we're holding on to. Really good. So, yeah, I would like to talk about that just a little bit more because it has always been interesting that, that, we, that Jesus wants us to come to the Father boldly, regularly, persistently. Um, and this guy was kind of banging on this neighbor's door at midnight. Maybe it was almost inappropriate as far as the time. I mean, he was in bed with his kids. His whole family was in bed sleeping. So, you know, this is before electricity. They, they'd been asleep for a while. They weren't up on their iPads, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So we'll talk a little bit more about this when we come back. Dr. Craig Keener is our guest. You're listening to the prayer series that we are going to continue for a long time. That's my hope anyway. Peter Kapsner and I will be right back in just a minute. Dr. Craig Keener, we're talking about uh, prayer. This is our prayer series with Peter Kapsner and I, and we're just over the break, Peter. Uh, Craig used the word inculcate, so I'm curious to see how he uses that in his explanation going forward. I love the idea of fitting that word into a sentence in context. I think I might learn a lot from that situation right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we were talking right before the break about just the being persistent, bold, and almost uh, like the guy who was knocking on his neighbor's door for bread yeah. for his uh, traveling friends. Almost uh, knocking on the door at midnight almost seems inappropriate, maybe even a little tiny bit rude, huh? So what can we, what yeah. can we learn about this? We've got so much in the Gospels. I mean, so many examples of, of prayer. I mean, we may not think of it as prayer because Jesus was right there in person, but hey, Jesus is exalted the Father's right hand, but his presence is with us. And, and so we can learn a lot from the petitioners in the Gospels. You've got the, this man who's got leprosy. He's supposed to stay 50 paces away. You know, the fact that Jesus is able to reach out and touch him and, and tell him, be cleansed, means that the guy didn't stay 50 paces away. You know, he's, he, he comes to Jesus. He falls on his knees before Jesus. He's respectful, but he's violating social protocol. I mean, Leviticus chapter 13, you're supposed to, if, you're, if, you, if you have leprosy, you're supposed to be crying out, unclean, unclean, and stay far away. But this man approaches Jesus. He's desperate. And he says, Lord, if, if, you're, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He recognizes Jesus' power. And this is one of those good gifts. This is something Jesus wants to give that's, that's good for this man. He heals him. In, in the next chapter, in chapter 2, you've got these crowds because word has gotten around that Jesus does these miraculous things. And, and so he's teaching. But, but there are uh, friends who are bringing a, a paralyzed friend to Jesus. 
and they can't get to him because of the crowd. And they realize we've got to get him to Jesus because if Jesus touches him or if Jesus speaks to him, he can be healed. But <clears throat> seeing the crowd, seeing no other way to do it, they take him up the staircase beside the house under the flat roof of the house, and then they, they dig through the roof. Um, that may sound, that, that may not fit our understanding of roofs. Most of us don't have flat roofs today. And those of us who do have flat roofs, uh, usually they're not easy to dig through. I mean, if they're tin or whatever, but um, the way the roofs were back then, there, there would be beams of wood. And then uh, between them, there would just be these these sticks caked over with mud. So they dig through the mud, they tear up the sticks, and between the beams, there's enough space to let the man down through the roof. They were so desperate to get the man to Jesus that they were willing to tear up their neighbor's roof. You know, obviously they would have to repair it <laughs> later, but, but um, they, they let the man down through the roof. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven, first things first. And then he goes on to, to heal the man. But their faith was expressed in not letting anything keep them from getting to Jesus. And in chapter, chapter 5 of Mark, you have, uh, well, you have Jairus, who's the, the ruler of the synagogue. He comes and bows down before Jesus. In terms of social status, he's one of the, the pillars of the community. <clears throat> but he's bowing down to Jesus. He's humbled by his situation. And he's in a desperate situation. Well, Jesus is going with him uh, anywhere in Capernaum to get from one place to another. It's only a few minutes walk. It's not that large of a town. But before they can get there, there's a woman with a, a flow of blood. Now, based on Leviticus 15, she was ritually impure. Anybody she touched would become impure until evening. Anybody whose clothes she touched would become impure until evening. She should not have been out in that crowd. She's bumping up against people. She also should not have reached out her hand and touched the hem of Jesus' garment because according to custom that made Jesus ritually impure. But Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? He felt the power go out of him. <clears throat> he sees who touched him. And and he he calls on her to testify. <laughs> she's she's experienced healing, but he's not embarrassed. He's not ashamed for everybody to know that she touched him. He's not ashamed to be identified with us in our brokenness so that he could make us whole. Um, we, we see that in the cross. We see that actually as Jesus is healing these people and, and incurring the wrath of some of the, the religious leaders and community leaders, um, there's a price for him. Ultimately, it's going to be the cross, but there's a, a price that he pays in, in caring for, for us in our need. Well, he says, your faith has made you whole. But then messengers come from Jairus' house and say, your daughter has already died. And Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, just believe. So her faith made her whole. Now he's calling on this man to, to trust in a seemingly impossible situation. And Jesus ends up touching Jairus' daughter, who, you know, a dead body was considered make, make you impure for 
seven days, Numbers chapter 19. So, but Jesus does it anyway. Uh, and instead of him becoming impure, he does away with the, the source of the impurity. He, heal, he heals her. He raises her from the dead. Um, we, we see this in, in other places in the Gospels. I mean, Bartimaeus, at the end of, of Mark chapter 10, the crowd tells him, you know, stop crying out. Jesus is busy. He's on his way. He's an important person on his way to <laughs> Jerusalem. Set up his kingdom. And and when Bartimaeus hears, he, he just cries out all the more, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And of course, Jesus heals him. We see it in John's gospel with Jesus' mom, <laughs> where she says, they have no wine, hint, hint. And, and Jesus, Jesus says, ma'am, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His hour in John's gospel is the, is the impending hour of his death. And he's saying, don't you understand? Once I start doing these things, I'm on the road to the cross. And apparently she doesn't understand. But she, 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 she does understand his power she refuses to take no for an answer, and she goes and says, whatever he says to you, do it. And, and Jesus answers that request. So, I mean, Jesus has already paid the cost. We don't have to worry that we're bothering him or it's going to, um, you know, cost him something extra to answer our prayer. But, but these were examples of persistence, and some of them would actually have been considered rude or socially inappropriate. But but the people knew they had to get to Jesus. The, the woman with the flow of blood, that was scandalous faith in, in that culture. But, but they knew that Jesus was the only one who could answer. Now, sometimes we complain that he wants persistence. But, I mean, I mean, sometimes his no is a no. Paul prayed three times for a thorn to be removed. And Jesus answers, you know, this thorn is actually good for you. So... Uh, spiritually, you won't get puffed up. But sometimes I think we, we give up too quickly. We just say, well, God, if you want. I, I don't, if you don't want, well, that's all right. I'm fine. <laughs> sometimes, I mean, God <laughs> knows what we have need of, but he wants a relationship. So he, 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 he wants us to, to I mean, you, you see this with Moses in the Old Testament, you know, where um, <laughs> God says, okay, I'm going to destroy Israel because, because and, and Moses has to intercede. Um, and God hears Moses because Moses is his friend. So, and, and, they, and they go back and forth a little bit, but God, God gives him what he asks for. The same with, with Abraham, you know, uh, if they're 50 righteous, well, if they're, if they're 40 righteous, you know, and, and, and they go back and forth, God wants us to be active in prayer and, and really uh, sometimes you see in the Old Testament people trying to make their case very respectfully before God. And the, the issue isn't that God doesn't hear us, and the issue isn't that God doesn't care. The, the issue is that God really wants to engage us in, in relationship. And that word you told me to come back to earlier, I forgot what, what, what that was. What, I'm an Ebenezer-minded professor. What was that? Uh, inculcate. Oh, yeah, God wants to <laughs> a relationship. Thanks, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I found, I mean, years ago, I, I, I misinterpreted faith, 
and and I I got to thinking, okay, if I just pray this way, it will it will always happen. And God was answering a lot of prayers, but I got to the place where it didn't it it, it stopped happening, and I was like, God, what's wrong? And God had to tell me that he was trying to get my attention because I had reduced him to a formula. Mm. And God isn't a formula. He's our father and he wants a relationship with us. And so he he was gracious enough to um, to bring that to my attention so that I would relate to him in the right way. Craig, like we've discussed right from the beginning, this is a um, a gigantic topic, and you have done such a masterful job of navigating through so many biblical examples, including the Lord's Prayer, including uh, some of the illustrations just in the last uh, couple of minutes that I'm going to chew on for weeks and weeks. This has been just uh, wonderful. Yeah, Thank you for sure. so much for uh, joining us today. It's my privilege. Yeah, Dr. Craig Keener has been my guest, our guest, Peter Kapsner, and I have been hosting the prayer series for a while, and we're going to continue to do so with guests like this. Why would we stop? That wraps up our show. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful night as you lay your head on that pillow. Know that God is working on his great plan in your life. He loves you. You know what? We do too. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.